I want you to put the word out there that we back up. Understand me? We back up. Hello, and after a very, 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 very long hiatus, I can very much proudly welcome you back to the Upper Bowl GM podcast. As always, it is your host, Nick Zoraris, and I know, I know, I know, I needed to take a break, okay? Last we talked, October 13th, I was very much tired of the Rangers and their bullshit. The Kyle Beach had publicly outed himself as one of the victims in the Brad Aldrich story, and I needed to step away from a little while just to kind of... It didn't feel right to be talking about sports with that as the dominating story in the news headlines. And for a while, I said I would come back when I was ready. And I got lazy, and I kept kicking the can down the road, kicking the can down the road. And there is no more fitting time, I think, to get things back underway than the Monday after the two college football playoff semifinals just kind of set the scene a little bit talk big picture college football we'll get back into a nice routine in the podcast get some guests going again get some recurring themes some topics we'll do picks again we'll have some fun but after some of the absolutely egregious takes I have seen over the last few days. I I just feel I don't want to say I have an obligation because that makes me sound way too like self-important that my opinion matters, but at the very least, I I can smell bullshit when I smell it. I that that's my big problem with so much of where the sports media landscape is right now is just there's just so much inauthentic bullshit where you have people arguing talking points they don't even believe. I mean, you saw some of the nonsense ESPN had the replacement people trying to do during the week, saying that he would take Joe Burrow over Patrick Mahomes. And don't get me wrong, Joe Burrow has thoroughly impressed me. Joe Burrow has usurped my expectations for him in year two as the quarterback of one of the worst franchises in football, the Cincinnati Bengals. But let's not be silly here. You're always going to take the physically talented guy over the between-the-ears guy because it's a lot easier to teach a between-the-ears guy... Excuse me. It's a lot easier to teach a arm talent, physical traits, mobility guy how to be intelligent than it is to teach an intelligent guy how to make the plays that only people with God-given ability can make. And that that's the essence of a lot of quarterback discussion, but we'll get to quarterback discussion. That, that's not what today's episode is about. We're going to talk about the college football playoff and why so many of the talking points that are out there right now are pointless. Kind of check in on the landscape and just really try and reset the temperature on the college football discourse right now, which is bad. Let, let's be frank here. The mainstream college football discourse you get anytime you put on ESPN program, oh, ESPN programming or Fox Sports programming is bad. And those are the only two media rights holders that really matter. No disrespect to uh, college football today and the SEC game of the week. 
CBS doesn't have a foothold on their cable channel, CBS Sports Network. It does not have a cable foothold. So for all intents and purposes, when I refer to college football media, I am talking about ESPN. I am talking about Fox Sports. And both of them are guilty of this nonsense that they propagate. And that is what is so frustrating about this. But before I get to that with social media, other than just post links to the podcast, we're going to try and get the YouTube going. We're going to try and do some stuff on TikTok. We're going to try and make a more engaging and thrilling podcast. And I'm going to think of this more of a full-time job as opposed to just me rambling into a microphone and having something for my friends who want to hear me talk about sports to listen to. Make this more accessible for a general audience, if you will. Think of myself more of a sports media personality as opposed to just a journalist who likes to bitch into a microphone for an hour every single day. I will see you guys in one second. I'll see you on the other side of Carl's Drop. And with that, we're going to get on into it. Now, we all know what happened over the weekend. You're not listening to the podcast for me to explain to you that Alabama and Georgia thoroughly outclassed their competition. We, we all understand that in any given year, there are only two teams, usually, worthy of competing for the national title. And that is something the talking heads do not want you to realize. The talking heads on ESPN, on Fox, want you to think that going to an 8- or 12-team playoff is good. I'm not opposed to more competitive football. I'm not opposed to the Sugar Bowl, the Cotton Bowl, the Orange Bowl, the Citrus Bowl, the Outback Bowl, whatever bowls they decide to be the semifinal games in that expanded field. I'm not opposed to those games having meaning. And yes, it's better for the sport if Kenny Pickett and Kenneth Walker III are playing in their respective bowl games because those games have an opportunity for said team that wouldn't usually have an opportunity to play for the national championship to do so. That would be good in a vacuum for the sport, for those lower-tier bowl games that are not one of the college football playoff semifinal games to have meaning, to have guys who want to play in those games like a Garrett Wilson, like a Chris Olave. Like, if the Rose Bowl was one of the semifinal games, you can assume Ohio State's premier wide receivers would have been playing in said game. And we would have been robbed of the Jackson Smith and Jigba masterclass. I mean, guy went for 15 receptions, 347 yards, and three touchdowns. And we didn't even talk about Marvin Harrison Jr., how good C.J. Stroud played under center at quarterback. And that's the thing. That is my big gripe with the Desmond Howard, Kirk Herbstreet points about how these, this generation of players does not care about football. These generation of football players understand that if football is going to be the rest of their life, they're going to take every opportunity to be successful. Look what happened to Matt Corral in the Sugar Bowl. Look what happened to Tyler Linderbaum in the Citrus Bowl. Now, fingers crossed, both Tyler and Matt are okay. Those are just ankle sprains. Those are sprains, not tears, not breaks. Those are four weeks, rest, rehabilitation, 
and those guys will be ready come the NFL Combine and pre-draft testing, ready to get selected, go to the team that drafts them in the first round because both of those guys will be first-round picks and have a career set up for NFL success. And that is the biggest misunderstanding, I think, in this entire discussion about do these guys care about football? Yeah, no shit Kenny Pickett and Kenneth Walker care about football. Those guys are in their early 20s. They have spent every waking moment since they realized they were a little bit better than anybody else playing football, and whether it be at the peewee level, the modified junior varsity, varsity, at whatever point those buddy else, they realized, okay, if everything goes absolutely perfect for me, maybe I get a chance at the league. If everything goes perfectly right for me in high school, I get to a good college, I play well in college, I could get to the league. And that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about less than 1% of all high school at football players get to the NFL. We are talking about the very best of the very best. And to insinuate that anybody playing football at the major college football level does not care about football is just insulting. Flat out insulting. When Kenny Pickett, when Kenneth Walker, when Chris Olave, when Garrett Wilson, when anybody who's playing college football at a major university is spending every waking moment of their existence getting ready for football and their education is an afterthought. That is what irked me so much. And I don't know whether those are Kirk Herbstreet and Desmond Howard's genuine positions on this discussion or if those are the notes their producer gave them because those are the positions their producers gave them because ESPN does this. ESPN has their producers give the people who are on camera notes and talking points to go over to keep the debate going, to get engagement. To ESPN is very, 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 very guilty of trying to artificially drive discussion when they don't have anything intelligent to add. And it makes for good engagement on social media. Their clips get views. And it's why I'm talking about Kirk Herbstreet and Desmond Howard bitching about kids trying to be better football players. And that is what just... That is what irks me. Like I was just saying, Kenny Pickett has been the best football player on his team his entire life until he got to the University of Pittsburgh. Kenneth Walker III has been one of, if not the best players on his entire team his entire life until he got to college. And even at the college level, one of the best players at this level at his position. Very clearly probably going to be a day two pick, maybe a day three because the running back has been so devalued. How does that mean they care less about football, that they want to play football at the next level, so they're going to take every single step possible to be good at that next level? And that's what this is about here. You can say to somebody that you don't care about football when the decision they've made is about what they're going to do in life, in their football life, after their college career is over. And it is why it is so asinine to say these guys don't love football. If Matt Corral didn't love football, he wouldn't be this good at football. If Kenneth Walker III, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, 
anybody who opted out of a bowl game did not care about football, they would not be this good at football right now. That is what has driven me nuts the last two weeks and why this discussion is so stupid. You are part of the problem, Kirk Herbstreet, Desmond Howard, anybody on that Fox pregame, whether it be Brady Quinn, Reggie Bush. You are part of the problem when all you tell these kids that matter is championships. We have defined legacy championships. That's what it's all about. If you don't have any championships, you don't get to come to the discussion. LeBron was the best player of his era before he won the titles with the Heat, the one with the Cavs, the one with the Lakers. But there were still that very vocal contingent of guys who said he could not be the greatest basketball player of all time until he won a championship. He did that. Couldn't be the best ever until he won multiple. Okay, he did that. And that is what is so messed up about everything these college kids, in football specifically, are enduring is all of these social constructs they are being forced to deal with are products of the media. ESPN is the producing entity of almost every single bowl game. I believe CBS and Fox both had one bowl game. Let's not pretend ESPN does not have a show specifically announcing the playoff rankings. Kirk Herbstreet, Reese Davis, Desmond Howard, Jesse Pollock, and every other person they use in their rotation of people, whether it be Joey Galloway or anyone else that ESPN uses, they have a show that is specifically about the playoff rankings. So why would it matter to Kenny Pickett to play in a bowl game when all he's heard the three years previously he was in school that, well, this team, they didn't play well enough to be one of our four to get to the playoff. And those bowl games... Your legacy doesn't really matter if you don't win a national championship in college. Then it's up to you to go and win at the NFL level if you haven't won at the college level. And that is the self the college football system up. And I don't begrudge the player one bit because all they have heard from the time they were kids until they're in college age. And I can say this as somebody who is a little bit removed from college. I'm 24 going on God, God help me, going on 25 years old. I am the same general age as a lot of the guys who are going to go into the NFL draft. I'm Yes, I'm a little bit older than 21, 22, but the vast majority of players who will be going in the NFL draft are 21 and 22 years old. And I'm not very far removed from those players' age group. And they watched the same sports center I did, where they saw the two teams in the BCS title game until they were in early high school, and then... They saw the, the, the four teams that got to go to the playoff. Oregon got in there a couple times. Florida State, Alabama, Clemson, LSU's gotten in there. Michigan State, Washington, Cincinnati now. We've, we've had a handful of Oklahoma, Georgia. We've had a handful of teams manage to break through this artificial barrier and get to that playoff. We have not had a lot of teams win national titles, and... The scarcity of the national title is what makes it prestigious. There are 130 teams that play football, bowl, division, football. 130 teams going from Alabama, which is one right now, 
all the way down to UMass or Arizona, whatever team you want to put at 130. All of those teams are, in theory, competing for national championships. All of them are, in theory, competing for a national championship. And the reality is, there is a massive, massive, massive middle class that is not okay with being a middle class. The Michigans, Texas, Auburn, Penn State, Wisconsin. That tier of team that if everything broke right for them, they could make the playoff. That group of team is not complacent with their role in this landscape of 130 teams. So they're taking steps. Penn State doubled down on James Franklin, gave him a bunch of money to build an indoor football facility. Wisconsin has increased their staff salaries. Michigan doubled down on Jim Harbaugh. Auburn brought in Brian Hartson from Boise State. All of these teams are trying to get to that Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State level. All of them are trying to get there from an infrastructure and X's and O's standpoint. The problem, the real problem, there is not enough talent to go around. It is the biggest problem in college sports. It is the biggest problem in professional sports. And it is the problem the media prognosticator class does not want you to think about because that makes their jobs less important. There are simply not enough good players to go around for more than a handful of teams to be national title contenders in any given season. Let's be frank here. Texas A&M with Jimbo Fisher, they're going to have a really good, probably the best recruiting class in the history of that football team this season. There is no guarantee that recruiting class of high school kids is going to make any real difference against Nick Saban, against Brian Kelly, against a Kirby Smart if Texas A&M were to win the Big Ten West. Their way of knowing that class of recruits is going to make a meaningful difference. And that is the essence of this. That I think I'm going to give that media class the benefit of the, da- the doubt, like the Joel Klatz of the world who go on Colin Cowherd's show every week and sometimes make sense, sometimes sound very stupid. The world, there is a finite amount of talent in the world. At the college level, there are plenty of really good football players to go around. There are enough guys that go around that the NFL has bad players at the NFL level. Those guys were pretty good in college to get a chance at the NFL level. That's our baseline understanding here. And then you think about how few high school kids get to go on to play major college football. We're talking about a scarcity problem right now. It is not that there are not enough teams competing in the playoff for a national championship. Expanding the playoff field helps because it makes other bowl games matter. It'll make guys stay playing games longer. That is good in a vacuum. You saw the difference on Friday night. You saw what happened when you lined up Michigan's best guys against Georgia's best guys and Cincinnati against Alabama's. And I will be fair. 
I thought Cincinnati played better against Alabama than Michigan did against Georgia. The final score, 24-6. to I mean, it's not pretty to not score a touchdown in your semifinal appearance when you are supposed to be the institution of the group of five, the one chance the group of five is going to get to make the four-team playoff. I thought Luke Fickle and Cincinnati played as good a game as they possibly could under their situation. Alabama outclassed them. Alabama waited them out. They kept pounding Brian Robinson, who is a Tuscaloosa high school. Yes, Brian Robinson Jr., the running back at Alabama, went to the high school in the town where the University of Alabama plays football. And Alabama waited them out and said, all right, you're going to sit in that high look. We're going to pound you. We're going to pound you. We're going to pound you. Stop us running the ball. And if we need to throw, we'll figure it out. And that was Alabama's game plan. And Cincinnati, to their credit, to Sauce Gardner's credit, to Kobe Bryant's credit, Cincinnati made Bryce Young work when he had to throw. There were not easy throws. There were a lot of underneath things to Jamison Williams and Billingsley, the tight end. There was a lot of underneath stuff, some checkdowns to Brian Robinson. Underneath stuff was there, but... Cincinnati's defense in that 3-3-5 shows three down linemen, three linebackers, five defensive backs, 3-3-5. The problem with that scheme against Alabama's RPO offense, and it it's a little bit underhanded to just reduce Alabama's offense to purely an RPO, and I'm saying that with air quotes I'm doing in my fingers right now. Offense, it's a numbers RPOs are purely about numbers. When Bryce Young takes that snap on, in the shotgun and he goes to fake handoff to Brian Robinson and he has to count hats, and when I say hats, I mean heads, in the box. If there's three down linemen and three linebackers and the linebackers are on that second level where linebackers would line up near where the umpire is, he's going to have a numbers advantage more often than not because they kept Billingsley in to block a lot. So, if it's six blockers on six defensive players, he's going to hand off to Brian Robinson every time because Brian Robinson is unaccounted for. There is nobody on the defense who is near that line of scrimmage whose job it is to get to Brian Robinson. Now, there are guys from the second level, obviously defensive backs from that five in the three three five, who are going to come down below and make the tackle on him, but purely on the RPO read, you're, no, you're looking at numbers for RPOs. Like I said, if Alabama has six guys into block, so you're five linemen and a tight end, and Cincinnati has three down linemen and three linebackers, and we're looking at six on six, you're going to hand that off every single time because Brian Robinson is unaccounted for. And it's why he averaged almost nine yards a carry purely on, purely on counting. And that's something I would have liked to have seen the broadcast talk about a little bit. I understand that's a little bit more... That's on a deeper level than the broadcast usually goes into. But there's a reason Brian Robinson was getting so many yards every single touch. was than Cincinnati did defenders. And I'll be fair. Alabama's defense played better in that game than I counted, than I expected them to. You, you saw some really good things. You saw some really, really good things from the Alabama defense that we weren't really counting on. And... That was my main apprehension for picking Alabama good because they were gra- they graduated so many players. And 
I was... I don't want to say skeptical of Bryce Young's ability to be important at this next... I wasn't skeptical of Bryce Young's ability to be particularly effective. It's just I felt like there had to be some drop-off from Tua to Mac Jones to Bryce Young. And I thought the defense would be able to pick up some slack, but I picked Ole Miss, I picked Georgia to win the SEC. And I, yes, I picked two SEC teams and then a Big Ten team and a Big Twelve team, and the two the Big Ten and the Big Twelve team play each other in the regular season every year. It was I didn't really think it out too deeply. I, it was more the four teams I wanted to see in the college football playoff. But the way Will Anderson, the outside linebacker from Alabama, played against Cincinnati. Game-wrecking force, where he was so much faster than anybody Cincinnati could throw in front of him to block. And that's the thing they kept talking about on the ESPN broadcast was Cincinnati does not see players with the physical traits that Alabama has in a given week. And I know that sounds presumptuous and a little bit dismissive of the group of five, but there's a reason Alabama has made seven of eight college football playoffs, and they've only lost one semifinal when they've been in the playoffs. They've gotten to the final and lost a couple times, but they are a very, 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 very good program. And traits cannot be taught. You can make somebody with good traits smarter with scheme and preparation. Alabama has guys. Alabama has a lot of guys. You saw Henry Tuotu Tuotu. I probably butchered that poor kid's name, but the Tennessee transfer inside linebacker who led the game in tackles and I believe was Alabama's leading tackler on defense this season. Those guys are better athletes than anybody Cincinnati has on offense or defense, and that is no disrespect to Sauce Gardner and Kobe Bryant who will get drafted and play at the NFL level. I think Sauce Gardner will be a decent NFL corner. That's no disrespect to those guys, but what Alabama has is not something they see often, and that goes back to my point about scarcity. There are only so many five-star guys to go around. There are only so many four-star guys to go around. There are plenty of developmental programs, and there is nothing wrong with being a developmental program. The weekend of the Penn State-Iowa game, I had Robert Reed, who covered his last game for the Daily Island. He covered Iowa's Citrus Bowl game against Kentucky this past weekend. Last game he's going to cover, last football game he's going to cover in college. And he told me, For Iowa, it's not about the playoff. It's not about Heisman trophies, Butkus awards. It's not about that. It is about getting three-star guys that Kirk Ferentz feels like, we can do something with this guy and we can be close enough where if everything goes right, we can go to a Big Ten title game. And if we get there, we'll see what happens. And... That is no besmirching or disrespect of what Kirk Ferentz has done at Iowa. They understand they are not going to be able to get five-star recruits with any real frequency. And that is geographic. It is a lot harder to get a five-star kid to come to Iowa 
there are not a significant amount of high school teams in the state of Iowa or in that region. The more densely populated a region is, the more likely it is you have elite talent. The more opportunities there are, the more opportunities there are for players to be found. It's why you see the vast from Florida, California, and Texas. That is where the vast majority of high school football programs are, and it is the easiest place to find I don't want to say replacement level because college is a little bit different than the pros in terms of replacement level, but that is the easiest place to find replacement level players. Howard Schnellenberger said it in the U documentary, the ESPN 30 for 30, the U part one. More athletes sign Division I letters of intent from the state of Florida than any other state in the union. And that is still true. I think. Last time I looked, it was Florida. It might have changed. It could be Texas or California. Now, I haven't looked at that in a couple of months. The last time I looked, it was Florida. That could be wrong. I, I'm a, That's definitely the quote from the documentary. I still vividly remember Howard Schnellenberger and his mustache and his pipe and his FAU polo telling me that, but the vast majority of talent is concentrated in a handful of areas. It is a lot easier for Georgia, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, now maybe USC as opposed to Oklahoma, Texas maybe with Sark, to go into these hotbeds and say, you come play for me, we got a chance at playing for a national title, I got a decent chance of getting you to the league, what matters to you? That is where we're at in the college football landscape. What matters to you? And there's a chance kids will go places Closer to home, more convenient, more worried about wanting to get playing time and putting snaps on tape so that it's easier for them to get to the NFL level. And that's good for the sport. You need guys who want to play right away. There are always going to be teams in a rebuilding season that need opportunities to play, and that is good. The difference between a good program and national title, national title contender is what you saw in Miami in the Orange Bowl Friday night between Michigan and Georgia. Leading up to that game, there was a part of me that thought Michigan was able to bully Ohio State on the line of scrimmage. Maybe that offensive line that won the award for best college offensive line is going to be able to push Give them a chance. If they can run the ball, they'll have some opportunities. They can use some play-action stuff to get Cade McNamara going. He's a rhythm quarterback. He needs some. He needs training wheels. He's still early on in his developmental process, and those training wheels help him be effective. Michigan had, I don't want to say one chance to make that a game, but it kind of felt like after that first possession Michigan had on offense where they just could not do anything, it really felt like the game was already over, even though the score was only 7 nothing, 14 10 nothing, whatever it was. At some point, no matter how good your guys are, how good your X's and O's in your scheme is, how good your culture is, how much your guys believe in what you're doing, at some point, the talent gap will come into play. It is very cliche, and 
I hate using these cliches, but it's the most true one in the college football discussion. Eventually, the Johnnies and Joes beat the X's and O's. And the play that defines that ethos, saying, whatever you want to call that, was the play Michigan put Blake Quorum in motion, and Kobe Dean followed him because it was man coverage. I think it was McCarthy at quarterback. It could have been McNamara. It doesn't matter. Hits him on a swing pass, trying to get Quorum catching the ball with forward momentum so he'd be able to run a little bit with before he got hit. Nicobe Dean tackled him for a loss on a swing pass. On a play, he had to run the length of the formation. And that is not an indictment of Michigan. That is not an indictment of Blake Corum. That is just how fucking good at football Nicobe Dean and Georgia's defense are. And yes, Georgia, Alabama, Clemson, now apparently Texas A&M, Ohio, a handful of teams handful of teams are getting those guys. Those programs are getting the five-star guys. They're having them sit a year at the skill position behind other five-star guys saying, all right, learn from the other guys in the room. When it's your turn, you'll be very good, I promise. And you look at the you look at the process, man. Look at what that Alabama wide receiver room has put out, whether it be Devontae Smith, Henry Ruggs. Yeah, I... I have to say Henry Ruggs because, yes, wide receiver room and got drafted highly in the draft. Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, Ohio State, those teams are on another plane right now. They have a monopoly on the high-end talent. And the high-end talent is enough to be a difference maker if the scheme is not there. So the best way I can explain this, think about the most average NFL quarterback, like the Jimmy Garoppolo tier of quarterback and how the 49ers got within a one completion of winning the Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo back in the February of 2020, before the pandemic and all shit, all of sports and the world went to hell. Think about how close Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers got to winning that Super Bowl. You have to have Jimmy Garoppolo in the absolute perfect of perfect situation for a team he is the quarterback of to be a legitimate Super Bowl contender. On Alabama... If everybody in the starting lineup reaches 70% of their ceiling, that is the best team in college football in any given year. That is the type of disparity these teams are fighting uphill against. The Cincinnati's, Notre Dame's, Oklahoma, Washington, USC now with Lincoln Riley. That tier of team that's made the playoff and gotten absolutely murdered in the first round by a better team. That is the type of uphill battle those teams are playing, where even if they play absolutely perfect and everything goes right for them, they don't have enough talent to stay on the field. Even better, here's an easy one for everybody who watches college football to understand. The only team in the Big Ten East 
that has played Ohio State consistently well in recent history is Penn State. Penn State has beaten Ohio State once since James Franklin has been the head coach in Happy Valley. That one win required two interceptions and a blocked field goal. The other games, you have a fourth and five run that gets stood up. You lose by one point. You lose by two points. You lose by two touchdowns. And then this past year, they lost by two touchdowns again. And that is pretty good for a Penn State team that has one or two five-star recruits on its team at any given point. Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, those programs have five to ten five-star recruits. Now, the other five-star recruits are distributed. They're not all on Alabama and Georgia and Clemson and Ohio State. Those teams just have the most of them. And at some point, the best players are going to play better than your best players if your absolute best player isn't as good as the other team. I'm going to reduce this as simple as I can. Think about going to play football at the park. Think about the best guy you could draft. If you were the captain, you picked that guy on your team. You know, anytime I get him the ball, he could take this to the end zone because it's only three on three. All he's got to do is either make one person miss or get behind them before I throw the ball. And if I hit him in stride, he's gone. It's a touchdown. That is the easiest way to explain this, where no matter what, if I get the first overall pick and I take this guy who's better than anybody else out on the field, they're not going to be able to stop him. And that is the Alabama and the Georgia and the Clemson and the Ohio State ethos right now. If I get the guys I want to stop me, because eventually I'm going to outwit you. I'm going to out-talent you. And that's what Alabama did. Alabama outweighted Cincinnati. If Alabama wanted to aggressively pass the ball down the field, if Bill O'Brien decided, you know what, I can beat these corners, I have a play, whatever, Alabama could have did it. And that's no slight on Sauce Gardner or Kobe Bryant. That's just how fucking good Alabama's wide receivers and Bryce Young and quarterback are. Eventually, the talent is going to come into play. You can have a perfect of perfect game plan, but at some point, X's and O's alone are not enough to win. And that is the problem here. It's not that there's not enough teams in the playoffs. It's not that these generation of guys doesn't love football enough. It's not that the committee doesn't pick the right teams. There are not more than two or three teams worthy of playing for a national championship in any given year. Let's be honest here. In any of the last five college football playoffs, aside from the Oklahoma-Georgia Rose Bowl, where Georgia won and then Georgia lost in overtime to Alabama, aside from that Oklahoma team with Baker Mayfield, is there any semifinal team you think would have even had a puncher's chance in the national title game when you think about the semifinal results we've had in recent years, whether it be Alabama-Notre Dame, 
whether it be Clemson, Ohio State, either of the two times. I will say, the Clemson, Ohio State game, the one where Trevor Lawrence had the 60-yard touchdown run, was a pretty good game. That game ended in a bit of controversy, but I felt pretty confident that Clemson was the better team and deserved to win that game. But let's not... That's that's the thing here. I thoroughly enjoyed what Lane Kiffin has done at Ole Miss the last two years with Matt Corral. If you gave Ole Miss 10 tries at beating Alabama, they maybe win twice. Hell, you give Georgia 10 times at beating Alabama, they might only win three or four times, even though they have the requisite amount of talent. Alabama and Georgia, those two teams are on a fair playing field. That is when you can start to compare the team versus the team, the coaches versus the coaches. But I'm not going to hold it against Jim Harbaugh. He lost to a significantly better team. I'm not going to hold it against Luke Fickle in Cincinnati. They lost to a significantly better team. And that's the madness of the mid-tier of college football right now. I'm not going to hold it against some of these guys who have lost difficult. As much as I like to make fun of Brian Kelly in Notre Dame, he doesn't have the talent to compete with... Alabama or Clemson or Ohio State or Oklahoma. I I wish him the best of luck at LSU. It's what I tell everybody. The more good college football teams there are, the better for everybody because it makes any given week more enjoyable. I just don't think we're ever going to break beyond this group of a handful of teams, at least until Nick Saban retires. When Nick Saban retires, maybe we can have a little bit of a discussion that some team whether it be Georgia with Kirby, Clemson with Dabo, maybe Lincoln Riley at USC, Brian Kelly at LSU, maybe somebody from that second tier can join the big boys. Like, maybe there's a world in which Nick Saban retired on the Alabama staff at the time gets that job. Maybe then we can add somebody from that second tier of team up there. And even if, okay, this is the last thought I have for today's episode, just... We're trying to remember. It's like riding a bike. You never really forget. I, I do have a good feel for timing. We're at about 40 minutes. I won't go that much longer because this is about when people start to check out if I get too long-winded. There is no way to make college football more competitive. Unless you want to institute scholarship restrictions on good teams, there is no way to make college football more competitive. They're just They're flat out is not a way we can have more teams competitive for the national title within the same window. And that's always been the sport. And it's really not that hard to understand if you're a rational thinking person who isn't trying to program television. Uh, I don't particularly care who plays for the national title as somebody without a single vested interest in any college football team. Like, yeah, if I had to pick, I would probably say Texas. And yeah, I've seen Texas win a national title and play for another one in my lifespan. I've seen them in two national title games and my conscious memory. And even that, it's they got there once. They beat a USC team. That was better than them. Like that USC team with Matt Liner, Reggie Bush, Lindell White, and all those guys on the defense who went to the NFL was a really good team. And Texas upset them for a reason. The spread, I think, was eight and a half USC. I haven't looked at that in God knows how long the last time I Googled that was, but eight and a half, nine points, something like that for that USC team. And yes, any given Saturday, Friday, Thursday, 
Wednesday if you're in the MAC. A less talented team can beat a more talented team. We saw it Saturday in the game, Thanksgiving weekend. Michigan beat Ohio State. Ohio State was more talented. Michigan said, stop us. We think we have a hole in your scheme. Stop us. And that can happen every now and then. Consistently, though, that won't happen. And that is what people need to realize. Nobody is going to consistently beat Alabama. Nobody is going to consistently beat Ohio State. Any given day, if you have the right opportunity, if you have enough talent and you have good coaches, you can hang with them, you keep it within one score, yes, you can have a good outcome. Even James Franklin beat Urban Meyer once. Urban Meyer is a significantly, maybe twice as good of a coach as James Franklin is at the college level. But framing all discussion around the entirety of the sport within the scope of if you don't make the playoff, you're not a good coach or a good program. If you don't win in the playoff or the pro, you're a bad coach, you're a bad program. You don't win the national title, you're not a good coach, you're not a good program has only made everything within this landscape dumber. It's made the discourse less intelligent. It's made people who I do enjoy. I like Every Saturday during college football season, I wake up to watch college game day. I woke up on Friday, the day of the semifinals, to watch it. I woke up Saturday morning to watch it the morning of the Rose Bowl. I enjoy watching college game day. When they're actually talking about matchups and personalities and the features that is good stuff that is what we need i don't need to hear people who played college football 30 years ago i remind you kirk herb street is 52 years old desmond howard won the heisman in 1992 93 i forget the exact year we're talking about going on 30 years ago the interests of those guys is very different from the class of athlete that is playing football right now and using their platform to minimize how people who were in their position now is irresponsible. I think that's the word I would use to describe it. It's not fair. And I get it. They got to fill airtime. It's very easy to just have boomers be boomers on air and they'll always get engagement. But one of the reasons I absolutely had to record this podcast and get it back going again is the sheer fucking stupidity that is out there this podcast might not ever be more than just my niche thoughts and a couple hundred people who on occasion want to hear what i have to say about specific things that's okay with me I care more about trying to make things easier to understand, trying to help more people think about sports in a bigger way, think about it in a more detailed way, than I do getting engagement. It's easy to get engagement. It's very easy to get engagement doing nostalgia or just retweet for Baker Mayfield like for Ben Roethlisberger. It's really easy to get engagement doing dumb shit like that and get a job at one of the sports books or ESPN. Oh, fucking how the guy who worked for House of Highlights tweets garbage from the ESPN account. God knows how many times a day tweeting terribly drawn graphics that don't make any sense. Why are they tweeting Thanos dunking on somebody? That, that just 
the sports media landscape is very, very fluid right now. There are a lot of people out there producing subpar content that are only getting engagement because of their platform. When in reality, there is a world of people out there starved for good, intelligent content. And that's who this podcast is for. The fan who is just tired of listening to the talking heads on Fox, on NBC, ESPN, on Peacock, Paramount Plus, whatever network. I'm sure you're tired of listening to Legacy and, oh, this guy's not good, that guy's better. I'm sure you're tired of it just like me. There are so few good places to have good discourse. Podcast is back. We're rolling. We'll talk hockey. We'll talk basketball. We'll get it moving again. I needed a little bit of a hiatus to kind of reset my brain, and that's okay. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. I'll see you guys tomorrow. I am going to be doing a guest spot on some friends of mine's podcast. Gonna go talk about the Jets on the Jets stream, the Jets podcast on the Gotham Sports Network, where you can read all of my work uh, at Gotham SN on Twitter. Gotham Sports Network is the web address. Write about football and hockey mostly. Occasionally dabble into baseball and other things, but mostly football and hockey on there. I've written about the Rangers recently. i got to write something else about the Rangers because Rangers are a weird team. They're kind of defying most logic of what you would say constitutes a good team, but they got Igor Shosturkin playing really well, and if you have a good goalie, that kind of hides a lot of your other problems. But that's where you can read the written work. I'll be on the jet stream for... I think that episode will go up on Tuesday, yeah. So you'll see that Tuesday. I'll see what I'm going to do for this on Tuesday. We're going to get back to a daily schedule. I'm going to push myself to actually be productive and be good at this because there are not enough people doing a good job at this, whether it be podcasts on radio, on TV, wherever the hell you're seeing talking heads talk stupidly about sports. I promise I can do a better job. I hope you guys enjoyed today's show. I will see y'all tomorrow.